Well, a couple of weeks ago, my wife Tara and Macy went on a trip up to Washington, D.C., Jamestown, Williamsburg, a couple other places, I think, just to have a whole lot of fun. And the night before they left, we were at our neighbor's house having some dinner, and it hit me. I knew that they were going to fly into Reagan, and they were going to go up to D.C. for a little bit, and it hit me. I got a buddy in D.C., and he's not just a buddy. He's with Secret Service, and he's not just with Secret Service. He actually works at the White House. So I thought, now this is the night before, but I got in touch with him, and I said, hey, my wife, my daughter are going to be there tomorrow. Any chance you could help them have a one-of-a-kind kind of experience. And he said, yes, I'll meet him at 1.30 in Lafayette Square. And so they weren't able, they got some COVID stuff still going on at the White House. And so he couldn't take them inside the White House, but he walked them around for two hours and showed them all kinds of stuff. They sat and had lunch together, and they got to ask Tara and Macy all of their Secret Service questions. And so they had a whole lot of fun. Y'all know over the last 14 years that I've been here, I share stories all the time of my old pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, it's his son, Ben, that is with the Secret Service up in D.C. And he's been with the Secret Service working at the White House for a long, long time. And so he's been around with all of the presidents, the vice presidents, and the like. So you can imagine the stories that he has to tell. Well, Pastor Tom has told this story about Ben a number of times, and I heard it not long ago, and I think it kind of fits with where we're going this morning. When Ben and his wife Amanda got married, early on they went and they lived in Austin. And Tom said he called Ben one day, and they're talking on the phone, and he said, you've got to know my son has the tact of a gag reflex. You can imagine what that's like. But Tom asked him, hey, Ben, have y'all found a church? No. Well, are you looking for one? No. You couldn't find one? No. Have you been looking? Yes. What are they like? And he said, Ben, with the tact of a gag reflux, what are they like? He said, Ben started the song, which is what? That's the circus song, right? He said, Dad, every church we visit is like a circus. And then Tom says, Ben starts preaching at me. When are you guys going to learn that you can't compete with Mick Jagger and Madonna? I'm not so sure Ben used Mick Jagger and Madonna. I think Tom probably forgot what Ben used, but the idea is the same. When are you guys, you pastors, going to learn that you can't compete with Mick Jagger and Madonna? They'll beat you every time at doing a show. The thing you've got that nobody's got is a Bible and the knowledge of God. Why don't you just preach it instead of trying to be the monkeys? What the church has that nobody else has is the Bible and the knowledge of God. Why don't you just preach it? Several weeks ago, a young lady in our church was talking to me about our, our worship. 
she had a couple of suggestions of how we could do some things better, but, but she began this way. She, she said, I, what I love about our worship is that they lead us to sing in a singable key. Every one of them has servant hearts. I've never seen an ego on stage. They're always prepared. They're talented instrumentalists, and they never come off like they're doing a performance. Love that. I was talking with another couple just a couple of weeks ago. They're fair, fairly new to our church, and they said, you know, we, we came from a church background that had lots of Scripture reading from the Old and the New Testaments. For years, every single Sunday, reading from the Old Testament, reading from the New Testament. They said, but in many ways, the preaching was kind of empty. And they said, and I'm not saying this is everybody's experience, but they said, we've gotten more from the handful of sermons here at Redeemer than we did in a decade of Scripture readings in my other church. Now, none of that is to say we couldn't improve our worship service. We certainly can. And it's not to say that we shouldn't do Scripture readings from the Old and New Testaments. Maybe we should. But that bit of feedback at least gave me confidence that if Ben Nelson came and visited Redeemer, I don't think he would leave going, do, 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 do. I would hope he would come away going, you know what, it's not a circus there. They're not putting on a performance. They want to worship our great God, and they want to turn our attention to God's truth. We're in week three of a series we're doing on, if you will, the values of Redeemer, what motivates us. You know, we say our mission is that we want to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. But is there any, are there any things that motivate us? Anything that we would call the collective soul that's important to us, not things that we do, but hopefully characterize all that we do. And we say, yeah, we hope so. There's five of them. Number one is the glory of God. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, Exodus 34, where Moses said, show me your glory. We looked at Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. We looked at Isaiah 6, where Isaiah saw into the throne room of, of Almighty God and the seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then John 1, where the eternal Son of God became one of us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we ponder the glory of God and say, yeah, we want to be a place that honors and loves God. Last week we looked at the gospel of God. That we want to be passionate about the good news that God, through the perfect life, substitutionary death, bodily resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, rescues all who turn to him in faith from the wrath of God into peace with God. That's the good news, that sinners like you and me can be forgiven. We can be 
reconciled to God. We can be adopted into the family of God. We can be filled with the very spirit of God. We can be given the promise of eternal life, not because we are good, not because we've shaped up, not because we've earned God's favor, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We love the glory of God. We love the gospel of God. And this morning, we love the word of God. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 119. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone. Whatever you've got, let's take a look. It's Psalm 119. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 119, you may be asking, are we going to look at every verse? This is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses long. And we love the Bible, so the answer is yes. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's 176 verses long. Eight times 22. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And maybe your Bible takes a note of it. Right above verse 1, you might see the Hebrew letter, Aleph. Every verse, the first word of each verse in verses 1 to 8 starts with the letter Aleph. And then down in verse 9, Bait. The first word of each verse starts with the Hebrew letter Bait. And then in verse 17, Gimel. Verse 25, Dalit. And it works its way all the way through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And Psalm 119 is a celebration of the Word of God. Of the 176 verses, 174 of them make explicit reference to the Word of God. 174 of the 176. So just give you a flavor of it. Verse 1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. 174 of the 176 make explicit reference to the word of God, his testimonies, his precepts, his judgments, his statutes, his word. And it's a prayer. All 176 mention the Lord. And most of them are addressed to him. Look at verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Every one of these verses addressed to him. And so we're not going to look at all 176 verses as I've looked at this psalm over the years, there are six or seven things that rise up for me that I want to draw our attention to. 
But before that, I, I wanted to just note four theological affirmations. If you've been around here, you know that I love to talk about the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture. But here's a few more. The necessity of Scripture. Kevin DeYoung writes, the necessity of Scripture reminds us that we need God's Word to tell us how to live and how to be saved. General revelation is not adequate. You know what general revelation is? That's the creation that the created order declares the glory of God. God makes himself known through what he has created generally to all men. But it's not adequate. General revelation is not adequate. Personal experience and human reason cannot show us the gospel. We need God's gracious self-disclosure if we're to worship rightly, believe in Christ, live forever in heaven the necessity, it was absolutely necessary that God reveal his word to us so that we could know him, know his ways, know salvation and how we are to live. The sufficiency of scripture reminds us that God's word tells us all we need to know for life and godliness in Christ. We don't need new revelations. We don't need dreams or visions. We don't need a council of prophets or a quorum of apostles to present to us new information about Jesus and the gospel. Scripture doesn't tell us everything we might want to know, but it tells us everything we truly need to know. Number three, the clarity of Scripture reminds us that the saving message of God's redemption can be understood by all who care to hear it. The saving message of God's redemption can be understood by all who care to hear it. It does not mean that every passage in the Bible is obvious or that we should shun proper training in all the biblical disciplines, but when it comes to the central tenets of Scripture— we can discern God's word for ourselves apart from official church interpretation. There is a meaning in the text, and God knows how to communicate it to us. And praise God for that. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a Ph.D. You don't even have to be a high school grad. God has made his truth not only known in the pages of Scripture, but clear to all who care to know it. A humble heart, a diligent heart that will seek God through his word, can know him, can know his ways, can know his salvation through Jesus Christ. And again, the authority of Scripture, DeYoung writes, the authority of Scripture reminds us that God's Word stands above all earthly powers. On every matter in which the Bible means to speak, the last word goes to Scripture. Not to councils or to catechisms or to science or to human experience, but to the Word of God. We all have someone or something that we turn to as the arbiter of truth claims. For Christians in the final analysis, this authority must be and can only be the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And so we 
glory not only in the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, but we are reminded of the necessity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the authority of Scripture. Well, here are some themes that I see jumping off the page from Psalm 119 that by God's grace would be wonderful if all of us individually, if we as a church could make them our own. Number one is this, let's love the word of God as the psalmist did. Look at verse 24. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are also my delight. They are my counselors. In verse 47, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. You don't have to keep turning, but verse 143, trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. He delighted in the word of God. He loved it. Probably, no doubt, because he loved God. And God had made himself known in the pages of the scriptures. And this was God's word to him. And so if he loves God and this is God's word, then he loved God's word. One said it's a record, the pages of Scripture are, of the majesty and might of God, which gives stability, strength, nourishment, fruitfulness, bolsters faith, restores the soul, grants wisdom, enlightens the eyes. And so he delighted in it. He loved it. A couple of commentators together commenting on this, Bratcher and Rayburn said it like this, the dominant theme running through this long psalm is that of joy. Despite his enemies, and they, they are throughout as well, and his own shortcomings, he talks about those, nowhere does the psalmist complain about having to obey God's law. He never finds the law restrictive or galling or negative. It's always a source of life, wisdom, comfort, and hope. No wonder again and again he exclaims, in your law I find joy. When I was in college at the University of North Texas, God was stirring in my soul. I had come to know Christ at 12, began to be discipled when I was 15, 10th grader, junior, senior in high school, discipled by a guy named Paul Roberts, started reading my Bible each and every night and taking notes. When I headed off to North Texas, my mama gave me a little booklet on scripture memory, and so I started to memorize little verses, little verses, verses in the Bible. And I got to North Texas that summer early to start working out for football and kind of get my feet wet, and my RA that summer was, was one of the Campus Crusade leaders named John Boudreau. And so he said, Mitch, let's get up early. Let's pray together. Let's memorize scripture together. And so I started to do that. I got introduced to Denton Bible Church and started to attend there. And of course, the preaching ministry of Denton Bible was just phenomenal. And I began to fall more and more in love with the Word of God. And 
I started, there was a Christian bookstore in Denton way back then called Martis Bookstore. Not Mardell, but Martis. It was just a little local shop owned by a guy named Joe. And I would go over there. I didn't have much money at all, so I didn't buy many books. But I would go over to Martis Bookstore, and I would just grab what I considered to be great books. I didn't know a whole lot back then, but I'd, I'd just pull them off, and I'd sit down in the aisle, and I'd just read. And I can remember being there one day, and this mama and her young son came in. And they were there to get him a Bible, which is pretty neat. And they're over there in the Bible section, and I could kind of overhear what was going on. And, and the little boy was, he's taking his time. He, you know, he's just a little boy. And, and he's messing with them and pulling some off the shelf and putting them up. And mama's getting a little frustrated. She, you know, she's doing wonderful. But eventually she just said to him, now, honey, hurry up. Make a choice. And I remember Joe. He was an older man who owned the place. And he was just as sweet as he could be to mama. But he just said, oh, let him take his time. Let him feel everyone with his own hands. Let him smell them if he wants to. Let him find the one that he's going to love. This psalmist loved the Word of God because he knew in the Bible God had made himself known to us and his ways in the world and his salvation and his will for our lives. May God give you and me grace to say like David in Psalm 19, they, meaning God's words, more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Well, number two, if you love it, you're going to long for it. Let's long for the word as this psalmist did. In verse 20, my soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. In verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 131, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Almost like a little bird, you know, panting for mama bird to bring the worms. <laughs> I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. To long for, to desire. I could have given you a bunch more verses from here where he says essentially the same thing. And I think longing is born from desperation, isn't it? Oh God, I long for your word. Why do you long for it? Because I'm so desperate for it. I love Rich Mullins, and I love it when he's saying, Oh, we are not as strong as we think we are. We think we're strong, we think we're smart. Heck, we're a bunch of educated West Houston suburbanites, a bunch of smart folks in the room powerful folks in the room, good-looking folks in the room, got-it-together kind of folks in the room. And if we don't watch out with all of our smarts and with all of our strength and all of the stuff that we've got together, 
we begin to think we don't need to long for God's Word. We don't need it. We've got all that we need. And Rich Mullins would remind us we're not as strong, we're not as smart, we're not as together as we think we are. We, in fact, are weak, and we need the Word of God to strengthen us. In John 6, 68, I quote this one often. You remember Jesus in John 6 is saying some hard stuff to his disciples. And there's a bunch of them there. But he begins to say some hard stuff. And some of them start to think, I don't know. And they turn and they go home. And Jesus turns and he looks at the 12 and says, you guys aren't going to leave too, are you? And I love what they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Friends, if you and I turn away from the word of God, where else are we going to go? Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. How does a newborn baby long for the pure milk? Right? They're hungry. They're desperate. They've got to have it or they're going to die. And Peter says, oh, followers of Jesus, be just like that when it comes to the Word of God. You've got to have it. Be desperate for it. Long for it. Number three. Let's learn the word as this, as this psalmist hoped to. Listen to him over and over and over again. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. I've told of my ways and you've answered me. Teach me your statutes. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Teach me, teach me, teach me. I want to learn. Now, we often say we're not meant to what? Lean on a shovel while praying for a ditch. Think about that one, right? Don't lean on a shovel while praying for a ditch. Lord, we really need a ditch around here. Would you please give us a ditch while we're leaning on our shovel? Well, we've got to pick up our shovel and start digging, and God will give us the strength to, to get our ditch. What do you think this psalmist was doing as he was praying, teach me your statutes, teach me your statutes, teach me your statutes? I bet his nose was in the Word of God, huh? I bet he was making his way through Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's reading and he's looking and he's praying the whole time, teach me, teach me, teach me. I want to learn. He wanted God to teach him, so he studied. He wanted to learn, so he buried himself in the Scriptures. He assumed and was humble he assumed his own ignorance, his own foolishness, and so he's saying to God, would you please teach me your truth? I'm not, 
smart as I ought to be, or as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm, I'm not as wise as I think I am. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. At the end, he says, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. As he digs into the word of God, praying all the time for the Lord to open his eyes and to teach him, he finds in here great spoil. One thing after another that he just goes, praise God. Yesterday, at the men's breakfast, had my buddy Matt Van Zant with us. Um, if you weren't here last week, I said a little bit about Matt. He Elkins High School down in Missouri City, and then Texas A&M golf team. They won a national championship in 2009. Then he served with College Golf Fellowship for a number of years. Now uh, he's in the financial world. But he did a wonderful job, shared his story of grace and how God had changed his life and then shared with us from the scriptures. It was, it was just awesome. And then we got to ask him some questions afterward, and I had some golf questions for him. And my last question was, you know, hey, Matt, years ago, I was sitting in a doctor's office. There was a golf magazine there. I opened it up, and there was an interview with Steve Williams. Steve Williams was the longtime caddy for Tiger Woods. And one of the questions to Steve Williams was, hey, Steve, what would you say to essentially golfers like Mitch, who basically just hack away at it? What's the one piece of advice you would give to really, really amateur golfers? And I said, and I said Steve gave his answer, and Matt, I'd, I'd love for you to answer that question too. What would you say to guys like me and guys like, you know, who, who hack it around a lot? If, if one thing... And he said, so you're not going to tell me what Steve said first? And I said, no, I want to hear what you say. And he started maybe for three seconds. And I said, well, I'll go ahead and tell you what Steve said. Steve's advice to hackers like me is take one more club. Meaning, if I'm thinking this is an eight iron, 160 yards away, I think an eight iron will do it. Steve Williams would say to me, take a seven iron, Mitch. Take one more club because guys like me, if I hit it flush, it's an eight iron, but guys like me don't hit it flush. We hardly ever hit it flush. And so Steve would say, take one more club because amateur golfers like you, Mitch, are almost always short. They're hardly ever long. So take one more. And so anyway, when I said that, Matt Van Zandt goes, oh, you mean like that practical? I said, yeah. And so Matt gave us his answer. All that to say, I want to get super practical with you on this idea of learning or better yet, studying God's Word. Mitch, what's one thing? This little book right here. Written a long time ago. I say a long time ago. I think it's 1975. This is one of the classic little books on basic Bible study methods. And I say basic, it is basic. But it's like, if all you did was this for the rest of your life, you're going to discover great spoil. If you've never had anybody help you, how do I study God's Word? How do I go beyond just reading it? Just reading it is wonderful. 
But how do I take the step from reading to studying? If you've never, never had anybody help you do that, this little book, it's less than 100 pages. And all God's people said, amen, right? It's not a big old thick book. It's, and look, there's not a whole lot of pages. There's not a, word, a lot of words on the page. But this little book has helped generation, a generation, if not a couple generations, of men and women in the basics of studying God's word. If I were you, I'd get on Amazon.com right now, even while I'm preaching, and order The Joy of Discovery by Oletta Wald. If you say, yeah, that's great. I want another one. Living by the book. I quote, how often do I quote Howard Hendricks? At least once a month, right? Howard Hendricks, Dallas Theological Seminary, went to be the Lord in 2013. Favorite prof of everybody who went through Dallas Seminary. Who's your favorite prof? Prof Hendricks. Who's your favorite? Prof Hendricks. Who's your favorite? Prof Hendricks. He was the favorite of everybody. And his one class that everybody just had to take was Bible study methods with Howard Hendricks. And this is his class put in a book. It's basic stuff. It's much thicker than 90 pages, but it's an easy read. And it'll help you, help me take that step beyond just reading through God's Word, which is absolutely essential and wonderful, to beginning to study and glean some of the spoil from God's Word. So by God's grace, let's love the Word of God. Let's long for it. Let's learn it. Number four, let's linger over it. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. Verse 23, even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. I don't know about you, but I don't anticipate the night watches. I hate it when I have to wake up and go to the restroom. Because it's like, okay, how, how much am I going to lay here before I go back to sleep? He said, I can't wait to be up late at night when everybody else is asleep and it's quiet. And I can just meditate on your word. Remember God's word to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then shall your way be prosperous, and then you'll have success. Or Psalm 1, you remember that? The very first psalm. What's the first thing God wants to say to us from in the book of Psalms, the longest book in all the Bible, 150 chapters? What's chapter 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. To meditate is to linger over, to ponder, to think about. I think the best illustration is the one I think probably always used. It's a cow chewing its cud. 
right? Some of y'all grew up on a farm. What does a cow do? It eats its grass, finds a shade tree, lays down, spits it back up into its mouth, and then chews on it. You ever wonder, what, what's that cow doing? He's chewing his cud. He's spitting it back up. I think that's what's going on there. And he's getting every nutrient he can out of it. When you and I meditate on God's Word, it's not that we've just read through it or even spent time studying it. It's then we ponder, we think, we meditate. Biblical meditation is not emptying our mind, it's filling our mind with God's truth. Oletta Wald, page 87, towards the very end. To meditate is to contemplate and ponder some passages in a quiet, unhurried manner. In this day of hurry, fury, and worry, that's a great way to say it, isn't it? Hurry, fury, and worry, 1975. What's it like in 2022? In this day of hurry, fury, and worry, few spend much time in prayerful meditation. It is easy to do a little bit of reading and a little bit of praying, convinced that there is no time for more. Sit still long enough to give God time to speak to you. Practice meditation. Pondering on, lingering over, thinking about a particular verse or a phrase or a paragraph from God's Word. Number five, let's lean on the Word as the psalmist did. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your Word. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Soul is cleaving to the dust. He's weeping because of grief. He's exceedingly afflicted. Life is that way, isn't it? Life can be very hard. And where do we go? One of the places we can go is the Word of God. We can lean on the Lord through His Word. One said, the Word feeds the hungry heart, sustains the fainting spirit, motivates the listless disposition, comforts the hurting soul, shields the fearful frame of mind, and provides peace to the puzzled person. He may be in here, but just this morning, Herb Fortenberry called me yesterday. His wife, Peggy, had a stroke up in her right. It's either optical lobe or an occipital lobe. And thankfully, I think she's going to be just fine, but she's lost a little bit of vision in her right, right eye, or at least it's fuzzy right now. They're hoping that it'll come back. Um. I was talking to him this morning. He was over there with the students. And he said, you know what? I just told the students this morning that Peggy and I have been through about a 10-year trial. Just one thing after another. 
And I told him, what you do is you just cling to the Lord. You just hold on to him. And I can bet what Herb, part of what Herb means by that is you just keep going back to God and to his promises in the word for his comfort and his strength and his perspective to keep you going. Because if you don't go to God in his word, where else are you going to go? We cling to him. I need to hurry. Number six, let's live the word as the psalmist hoped to do. Verse 4, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. God gives us his word that we might know him and know his ways and know his salvation, but also to know his will for our lives. And we are to trust and obey and put his word into action in our lives. This man didn't just love it and long for it and want to learn it. He didn't just linger over it and and lean into it in his hard times. But he said, I want to live it out. I want to obey your word. And what Jesus said, he who has these commandments of mine and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. We're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. The one who hears these words and does them, he shall be compared to a man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet that house stood because it had been built upon the rock. Tell me again what the rock is, Jesus. He who hears my word and does it shall be compared to the man who built his house upon a rock. James, who wrote the book of James, was the little brother of Jesus. And he was no doubt there in the Sermon on the Mount because if you read the Sermon on the Mount and then you read the book of James, you're like, James was there. The themes from the Sermon on the Mount just are coarse through the book of James. One of the things James said was what? Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, that man shall be blessed in what he does. And so, brothers and sisters, in our personal lives, in our family life, in our church life, in our work life, in our community life, in every area of our lives, are there places of disobedience? 
where we know what God's word is saying to us, but rather than become an effectual doer, we'd rather be a forgetful hearer. The psalmist of Psalm 119 would say to you and to me, let's live the word of God. Number seven, let's let the word out as the psalmist did. I could really only find one verse on this one, verse 13. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. He just couldn't keep it in. We need to go, but one more story from yesterday. We began our men's breakfast. We often do this after we eat. We then say, all right, guys, here's what you got to do. You got to get up. You got to find a man you don't know very well or you don't know at all. You got to spend a minute or two with him, get to know him just as quickly as you can, and then we'll sit back down, and whoever wants to can stand up and introduce their new friend. And so we did that. And, uh, okay, anybody want to introduce us? Tell us about your new friend. And a, a few of them did. And then Matt Van Zant, our, our our guest, our speaker for the day, he, he stood up and he said, yeah, I want to tell you all about Ward Trulock. He got to know Ward. And he told us that Ward was from Odessa and he'd been married for 54 years, that he was retired, he'd been in the oil business and a few other things. And then he told us one other thing that really didn't match the game. It, it wasn't what Ward was supposed to tell him. Ward was supposed to ask his, answer his questions and kind of tell him, yeah, you know, I'm Ward Trulock, I'm from Odessa, and I buried Berta, and we've been married for 54 years, and I was in the oil business, and I got this many kids, and this many grandkids, and blah, blah. But as Matt was telling us about Ward, he ended, and he said, and Ward told me to just keep reading the Bible. So cool. Here's young Matt. Matt's probably in his mid-30s. Talking with Ward. Ward's probably 120. Right? (laughs) And Matt probably asked his questions. Ward gave him his answers. And then Ward said, probably, hey, one more thing. Don't stop reading the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. What a gift. Thank you for the, I don't know, the climax of the Bible, the mountaintop of the Bible, the chief revelation of the Bible, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That you loved us And you sent your son into the world for sinners like us to live for us, to die in our place and for our sins, to rise from the dead in defeat of sin and death and Satan and hell, to be victorious over all things. Then to ascend to your right hand. And say to any and to all who will believe, come to me. 
you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a revelation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, if there's any here today who've never put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, new life in him, and eternal life, might you open their hearts even now to receive the wonderful gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, those of us who know you through your son, Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit of God who has given to us to help us along the way. May we be men and women, young and old, who take the advice of the psalmist and of our good brother in the Lord, Ward. Keep reading the Bible. And we'll pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.